hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. Я вообще не называю меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? От русские земля, единый быть. Welcome to the Russophiles Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I am joined by a guest, and uh, today my guest is Spencer. Hi, Spencer. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. How are you, Alster? I'm doing all right. How How are you, Spencer? I'm doing pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a bit more about yourself? Well, um, I've always been kind of obsessed with Russian history. Don't remember how it happened exactly, but when I was in fifth grade, and I, I would I started reading the encyclopedia for fun, and I just like spend hours just reading different stuff from encyclopedia, and I just like gravitated towards Russian history for some reason, and it got to a point where I taught myself the uh, written Russian alphabet. And I memorized it, and I tried to teach myself the grammar. And this was when I was 12, and that didn't really go well, because Russian grammar is uh, challenging, to put it lightly. Oh, believe me, uh, I, I know from painful personal experience. But um, I guess that's that's the thing when you're 12. You, it doesn't occur to you that that's going to be insanely difficult. You just go, oh, I fancy doing that. Yeah, like I knew all the all the characters in the written alphabet and I could like write them out. And I, I, I think that's about as far as I got. And then I taught my, I taught myself uh, every czar in order. That is no mean feat. That and um, including the uh, Soviet dictators too. Gotcha. That's, that's really cool and pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, I think I would struggle to, to name all of the, um, well, English and then um, British monarchs. I think I could possibly do it, but there, would, there would be gaps. So to be able to do that for another country, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I've forgotten a lot of it because it's been over a decade. But sure, in junior high, I was a pretty cool kid. Right, I could tell you about False Dimitri, one through three. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember that coming up on the episode of um, your podcast, uh, High and Low, that I guessed it on. You you kind of uh, blindsided me by asking me <laughs> which my favorite czar was. I think I said, uh, I don't know. I think they were all pretty <laughs> pretty awful. But yeah, uh, so so right back at you. Do you have a favorite czar? Um, yes, it's Sophia, who was Peter the First or the Great, uh, his older half-sister, who was the regent before he was old enough to be czar. So, so what was it about her that appealed? Uh, well, she pretty much started all like the uh, government reforms that Peter gets all the credit for. Like he, uh, she, she had the first college built in Russia during her reign. She revamped and just tried to straighten out like the uh, Boyer system and uh, tried to. Just make it more modern and more appealing to the rest of Europe so you won't be seen as like the backwards country. Because they were seen as like the like backwards like rednecks. And is redneck a term over there? Um it's one we understand. Um just, you know, lots of uh, uh exposure to American culture. I'm trying to think like what the equivalent would be without saying something massively offensive. <laughs> But sort of backwards, unsophisticated, like country bumpkin type. Yeah, and so yeah, and Sophia started all that, and then Peter 
kind of ousted her because he got a lot of support and he became of age and she never married or had kids but she had a lover who was a uh, the head general but he lost favor because they lost too many battles and uh, she kind of died in obscurity in a convent yeah she's she's one that we tend not to have not to have heard of in in the west um someone i think is really cool who was peter's second wife i i want to say who was actually catherine the first so not catherine the great because that's catherine the second but she was really really interesting uh the, the bbc did a uh, radio drama series about the different uh, russian czars and uh, she was really really very formidable she actually uh, at least the way the drama portrayed it she was uh, essentially like a domestic servant who was spotted by one of uh, peter's best friends and courtiers yeah. and he probably noticed her appearance before anything else um because she was peter's type apparently she was yeah very attractive um but he also once he got to know her he, he figured that she was incredibly smart um, as as well. I mean, at least at least again in the in the drama, she she wasn't a native Russian mm-hmm. speaker, but taught her, herself to speak uh, Russian very very quickly. Um, I'm looking at Wikipedia, which might be not uh, so correct, but apparently she was Polish and Lithuanian. Yes, yeah, that's 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 right. That's what I understood from from this. Radio series. I don't think it's. I think it would probably be pretty hard to find, as I don't think it's on, online anymore. But I don't know. Maybe it's on on Audible or something, or will be at some point. I guess. Uh, yeah. At this point, you you sort of say, "Oh yes, Audible. You should you should sponsor us, seeing as you sponsor all of the other podcasts." Uh, but uh, yeah, not high and low yet. Not yet. Uh, but uh, yeah, you have to have to figure figure out like a a sort of a book tie in or something. I know there are a couple Kurosawa books. Have I brought up that I have a Kurosawa podcast? Um, well, I sort of glancingly uh, mentioned that I guested on, on, on your podcast, but I didn't really explain what that was. So uh, uh, maybe you should explain that in, in your own words. Oh, yeah. So I have a separate podcast called High and Low, a Kurosawa podcast named after the Kurosawa film High and Low, where me and my co-host Stroll... We pick a Kurosawa movie and another Japanese movie from that same year. And we do two separate episodes, kind of talking about each one and comparing them. And, you know, seeing what's interesting, what isn't. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's pretty easy. It's on Criterion or whatever. And sometimes it means like spending like 30 bucks on import DVD. So This being a Russian film podcast, I, I feel your pain on the import uh, DVD front. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, until I started listening to your podcast, I had I had no idea quite how prolific uh, Kurosawa had been. You know. Oh yeah. How many films did he do in the end? It's debated, but um, mm. thirty-three or thirty-two, because his first film, the director quit towards the end, and so Kurosawa had to finish it. But his name isn't attached to it because he only finished like the last third or so and there's another movie a propaganda film he did where it was different segments and he wanted his name taken off of it and the film has never been released like officially but it's called a kurosawa film by some people so there are a couple kind of uh questionable ones in the mix sort of fall in a, a weird sort of limbo zone yeah Okay. Oh, cool. Um, and of course, he one of his, I guess, like lesser known films these days uh, was actually a, a shot in the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, Der, uh, Der Suzala. It's um, a memoir by. I gotta look it up. He was a a Russian explorer who um, uh, he was uh, uh, what do you call it when you're trying to like make a map of an area oh yes um like explorer is not is not sufficient like cartographer yeah something like that surveyor surveyor that's it and um anyway i can't remember it but it's a so it's a book that came out i think 
after Soviets took over in the 20s called, um, I translate to Dare Sue the Trapper or the Hunter. The English translations are always all over the place. But he ran to this, this like Mongolian Russian man who uh, just kind of lived in the forest and helped them survey the land. And then five years later, he surveyed Siberia, the captain uh, surveying Siberia again, a different part, and kind of runs into this this trapper again. And they, it's just the story of their friendship and their adventure. And uh, it's a kind of a sad story because he ends up getting shot by a thief in a, I forgot what city, but he ends up living with the... It's probably Khabarovsk or somewhere like that. Yeah, like there, Sue ends up living with the the captain because he can't hunt anymore because he's going blind, and uh, he ends up getting shot. It's all historical, so it's not really a spoiler. And he sure. gets shot by a thief because he gets given like a fancy new gun with better eyesight. Like I, I don't know what you call. I don't know guns. Like the thing that it's not a scope. Yeah, like a cyborg. Yeah. I don't know. Guns are not really really a thing. I know I know too much about either. But uh, yeah, I guess you could say it wouldn't wouldn't really be a, a Russian set film if it wasn't slightly depressing. So uh, although that's perpetuating a horrible stereotype, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, that also brings up the whole issue of what's perhaps poorly understood in, in the West is that Russia, like like most places, it's not um, ethnically homogenous. But but I think people don't realize just quite how diverse Russia is, just because it's this mm-hmm. huge like multi ethnic empire it just has the label russia slapped on it and you kind of think oh well russia so everyone is russian um not necessarily some people look very mongolian but they are still russian exactly yeah and then of course you had the whole mongol yoke business so you had the russians being ruled over by the uh successors of uh, of genghis khan and the uh, golden horde uh, yeah indeed Yes, uh, I'm tempted to make some some joke about uh, not being able to um, make a, a, a Mongol yoke without breaking some eggs, but <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think I think the the subject of today's film would probably have me brutally uh, tortured or something for for making a joke that bad. <laughs> um, and so yeah, that uh, awkward link <laughs> to the film that we're watching. Uh, so today we're we're going to be watching Tsar, and the subject of uh, of that film is Ivan the Fourth, or as he's better known, Ivan the Terrible. Or Ivan Grozny. Oh, very good. Very good. Um, but terrible is a terrible translation, because I've seen it as, it means formidable or strong, not terrible. I'm, I'm really glad to, you brought that up, because that's definitely <laughs> one that needs to, needs to be brought up. Yeah, terrible in sort of like an older sense of the word, but like you say, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really capture it, because terrible tends, yeah, just tends to suggest that he was just a really bad dude, which is part of it. But yeah, the, the sense of the Russian word is more like, as you say, formidable. I mean, I've s- sometimes seen him called Ivan the Dread, which mm-hmm. is a good one. Um, that's pretty metal. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, another English translation that wouldn't work very well with modern English is Ivan the Awesome, because you just think it's really cool. Yeah, well, it means awesome in the old-timey, like, biblical sense. Yeah, like the prostrate yourself in fear, um, or else. Yeah. So, uh, what do you know about uh, about Ivan? Um, he's the first crowned czar. His grandfather, Ivan the Ivan III, or Ivan the Great, who freed the Russians from the Golden Horde. Although the Golden Horde was pretty weak by that point, and kind of a joke. But um, his grandfather was the first Russian to use the title Tsar in like official papers and stuff like that. And to refer to himself, but he kind of stole it from the... I think started in Bulgaria. Okay. The, the word Tsar. It kind of it kind of spread from Central Europe to Eastern Europe, and uh, when Ivan was crowned, he, in his coronation, referred to himself as Tsar, and so he's considered the first Tsar. But that's technically not that true, but kind of is true, because like Russia was just a series of like city states, kind of that are loosely connected for a long time, so it's kind of unclear when it became. 
like you know yeah oh oh definitely because i mean somewhere like somewhere like where i'm from we had a period of being lots of separate places that eventually united into a one kingdom but that happened a lot longer ago than our history tends to cover so most people just go oh england and then you know scotland and wales joined but yeah basically it's it's been the same place forever but yeah russia had a bit more of a complicated recent history i guess um so yeah um i was just thinking about other histor you know films about historical figures that are actually good i'm actually struggling to come up with with a ton um there's um the uh the guy who directed Patton directed before that I think it was before Patton, Nicholas and Alexandra, which is based off of the, is his name Lincoln or Bruce? Like he, the, there's this really famous, um, uh, book on Nicholas and Alexandra, uh, and the fall of the Romanovs and as a three hour epic with Tom Baker in it as Rasputin from the seventies. Of Doctor Who fame. Yeah. Yeah. Before, before we, uh, we started recording, uh, Spencer was telling me that it was a bit of a uh, a bit of a revelation as far as uh, as far as Tom Baker is concerned. Yeah, I didn't really know he can act beyond being like a a goofy Doctor Who, but in this movie from I think 1970, he plays uh, uh, Rasputin. Cool. Well, that is definitely one on the on the list to be to be watched um, in future. And it it is a good movie. Just it's. Uh, big three-hour epic yeah it's a bit of a time commitment i mean the, the one we're watching today um which is it's quite a recent one it's from 2009 and it's directed by Pyotr uh, mamonov um it's it's just a couple of hours so it's kind of it's kind of manageable yeah cool um what we'll do is we'll watch the film and then we'll compare notes so uh, what we do every time is i uh Force my guests to speak a bit of Russian, but it sounds like you, you're you're better prepared uh, than than some Spencer. So, um, well, you hear a real sweet spot for me because this is uh, my favorite era of Russian history. Oh, fantastic! Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, the phrase we say has a much more modern connection, and well, it's not even a phrase; it's a word. And the word is "payechali." Payechali. That's pretty good. Um, and the significance of "payechali" is it is what Yuri Gagarin said when he was blasting off to become the first man in space. So it's kind of about as famous in Russia as one small step for man, that that phrase. Oh. But it's much more prosaic because it essentially just means mm -hmm. here we go or we're off yeah. or something like that. <laughs> okay, so after three, one, two, three. Payakhali. Welcome back. We've just watched Tsar, and now we're going to talk about uh, what we thought about it. But first, uh, a quick summary of the plot from uh, Spencer. So, Spencer, take it away. All right. So it starts in 1565, and it basically covers the end of uh, Ivan IV's friendship with uh, this bishop turned... Uh, Metropolitan, yeah, which I'm, I guess is like they're kind of like the Pope figure for the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean, I I can't really go into Russian Orthodox mm -hmm. Church hierarchy as I really don't understand it all that well. But yeah, it, he's he's pretty much the 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 top guy in the Russian Orthodox Church. Okay, so the parish covers uh, his friendship and his. I uh, guess but, uh, betrayal of his like his only real friend uh, Philip, and it, this goes for about a year, year and a half, until Philip's death, and uh, this kind of 
uh, what was the the land that uh, Ivan was like his personal land? The Aprichnina, if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I think, and then like all the people who live there abandoned him, and this ends on this very bleak note of him feeling betrayed by everyone. Yeah, as we've probably already sort of conveyed in that summary, not the cheeriest of films. No. Um, did you like it? Just to just to start off, I I did like it. It was very well made. I liked the pacing of it. And then I, I didn't feel the two hours. Um, good casting, except for uh, Ivan. Right. Because uh, at the time, Ivan would have been late thirties. Yes. Yeah. I was I was going to bring this up because. I actually had to to look back up what time in the rain this was supposed to happen, and yeah, as as you say, uh, the the guy playing Ivan is a is a much is a much older man. Yeah, almost actually, uh, yeah, almost double the age Ivan would have been at the time. Yeah, and and he didn't even make it past. Uh, Ivan died at fifty five. That's right. Yeah, it kind of it's kind of weird casting someone in their sixties to play a thirty. Like a thirty-nine-year-old. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, on the other hand, for me, it's a really, really good performance. And I think now, kind of going back and going, ah, oh, right, that's supposed to be the middle of his reign rather than mm. the end. It does make me go, uh, that sort of slightly detracts. But it's a shame because, as I say, he's he's really good. At least, at least I thought so. Yeah, it, it, he really captured how Ivan was a very complex uh multifaceted person because like pop culturally he's thought of as like a crazy dictator but he actually was like intensely religious he had a warm side he like he was also like a very personable like affable person at times like you see all sides of him and like his clear mental illness and him being like really sweet around children like it's it's a really good performance. Like he can switch modes, like on a dime. Yeah, and he he is required to do a, a lot of different things. As as you say, there's this uh, there's this one little girl that comes in and out of the story, and he is just you know like a, an affectionate um, grandfather, and and she even calls him uh, grandfather, um, and he's really nice to her. But as you say, he's the, the way the film portrays him is is clearly suffering like um, a pretty intense uh, mental illness, and I, I don't know about you. I mean, I felt quite sorry for him, which is which is a, a bit of a, a weird thing to say, seeing as uh, some of the horrible things he does and mm. are kind of done in his name. But I don't know about you. I I got the feeling that he was being somewhat exploited by some of the people around him. I don't know what you think. Well, that was that was basically his whole life because his father died when he was five, and then his mother kind of didn't raise him. And um, like the Boyers, we should probably explain who the Boyers are. It's just the other royal families, uh, more or less, like the royal council. Yeah, the sort of the, the nobility. Yeah, and um, basically the Boyers in power would uh, like only uh, take him out whenever. There'd be like foreign royalty visiting to keep up appearances, but they'd like lock him in his room, and like they'd beat him and they won't feed him for like it was just a horrible childhood. Yeah, and um, it's clear that like that contributed to his paranoia, and he probably was already mentally ill or had like the uh, the signs of it, and that made it worse. Oh yeah. Yeah, the the fact that he's in a in a position of of power and where you've got all these different interests kind of vying for for sort of influence really doesn't help. Um, in terms of the supporting characters, there's it's it's almost like this sort of madness is swirling around Ivan, and it's it's kind of you've got a mixture with some of the counselors or people around him are just clearly like more crazy and unhinged than than he is like uh, there's one guy who's uh, I think he's called Vasian like the bald guy 
Um, oh, with the scar on his cheek? Um, I don't remember the scar so much. Um, he, he's the bald guy with, like, really, really grotty, nasty, nasty teeth. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's he's really quite memorable. I mean, I've actually seen this this film before today, but it was a long time ago, and I'm really surprised that more of it hadn't stuck with me, but he's mm-hmm. he's just really crazy and he's sort of he's almost almost kind of like a like an animal um and and also uh ivan's wife um one of the seven that he had so he went one better than than our henry the eighth yeah seven or eight and the uh the uh official rules of the russian orthodox church was you can be married four times but ivan clearly didn't care and kept on marrying. Yeah, you'd kind of think that after four, you'd you'd go right. That's probably that's probably enough. Maybe maybe it's uh, uh maybe it's you, not them. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, yeah. And what did you think of, uh, of the way she was portrayed? Uh, based off what little I know about her, is pretty accurate. That was his <clears> second <throat> wife. His first wife, he was truly in love with, and they had I think three children. And they had a, a healthy son who was groomed to be next in line. And then in 1560, they were uh, leaving from something to back to their palace. And they fell in like a frozen river. And his son and wife died. And mm. that kind of was the major thing that made him snap and kind of turned him into... Like what we see him in this movie, yeah. And and his second wife, people didn't want him to marry her because she was uh, a, a quote pagan, but really she she was a daughter of a Muslim. Uh, let's see words like Khan or like local ruler. Yeah, something like that. And uh, no one really liked her. Yeah, and certainly the way she's portrayed in this film is, I mean, not quite as as mad as. Uh, uh, Vassian, but, um, but she's, you know, you never see her have a normal conversation with anyone. She's always kind of no. like, I think the first, the first time you, you, you see, mm-hmm. she's kind of like groveling to him and sort of, you know, like kissing him up and down his clothing. It's not like it's a love scene or anything like that. It is just, she's sort of, I don't know groveling and then later on you see various different scenes where she's just beating people she's almost a bit like this is a bit of a weird comparison but i don't know if you've seen the james bond film um goldeneye um i barely remember it do you remember the xenia on a top character who sort of gets off on killing people she sort of reminded me a bit a bit of that Mm. in that she's she seems to enjoy being cruel to people in in a sort of slightly like sexual or sensual way at least that's how it came across to me so that was that was a bit weird um yeah yeah like she was apparently illiterate and just a mean person yeah i mean i guess illiteracy back then was pretty pretty common but yeah uh, she does she does not get a she is not portrayed in a particularly flattering way uh at all by by this film oh no in terms of uh of the of the other characters though um i think the uh, the main you know sort of if it's a two hander and the the, uh, mm-hmm. the other main character is is the metropolitan Philippe. I really liked his performance as well, um, and I, I I don't know what what you thought, but a lot of the time it's he's not called upon to say very much, but you just read what's kind of going on through his face. Yeah, he's one of the few people who's trying to genuinely help Ivan, but Ivan is clearly too far gone and uh, won't really listen to him like at times he early on he kind of will listen here and there but like by a halfway point it's clear like their friendship is you know effectively dead yeah essentially just because uh, philip is is as you say trying trying to help and he's he's really sort of like quite gentle about it. he's just saying you know mm-hmm. be merciful and and Ivan is saying, well, but I have to punish people. That's my job. That's what God has asked me to do. Um, and Philip's like, are you sure? Uh, 
Um, and then just, yeah, you feel, I think he's the easiest character to con- sort of connect with in a, he's almost like the window into the time period because, yeah, it's hard to identify with any, anyone else just with the, mostly just behaving in an incredibly sort of cruel and, uh, you know, stereotypically medieval way, although obviously, uh, sort of if we want to be pedantic about it, it's, uh, we're in the sort of early modern period already. Yeah, it's, I guess the Renaissance would have been going on in Italy around this time. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, we're well into that, that period. And there's actually a, a bit of an allusion to that at one point, isn't there, where you have um, this German kind of inventor guy. Um, oh, yeah. He's not in it for very, very much, but initially Philip shows him these these drawings and says they're they're by Leonardo. This sort of allusion to that sort of stuff having been around, although I think okay, because he kept saying like these are from the Italian, and it didn't say it said like I guess the Russian version of uh, Leonardo in my translation, but I wasn't really sure if they're talking about uh, Da Vinci or not. I sort of assumed it was, because they, they just referred to him as as Leonardo. Um, so there is kind of, yeah, allusions to that sort of stuff having gone on and that this isn't, you know, uh, in an earlier period. But it just, it, it's kind of good that this is a film about Russia made by Russians, mm-hmm. because if it was a Western film, you'd feel like, you know, this is just really stereotypical kind of, oh, look how barbarous the Russians are and how nasty life is there. But it's like, no, this is them saying, yeah, this was a really awful period of time to live in. Yeah, it's that kind of that's their existence for kind of a while. Yeah. Um, and I feel like not that they cover this at all in, in the film, but I think for the sake of balance, we should mention that Several centuries, centuries before this, um, in the semi-independent city-states period, things were really pretty civilized for the time. You know, they had mm-hmm. like relative amount of self-government. It wasn't like a democracy, but people had a had a say in the town uh, meetings. It kind of comes up a little bit in the in the film where um, Ivan says something to Philip about how you know it's. It's really bad if the many rule, and that's why great cities in the past, mm-hmm. he's not specifically talking about Russian cities, but I think he's talking about cities in general, fell because lots of people had a say in decisions, whereas it's much better if it's just one man rule. Yeah, that attitude carried all the way to Nicholas II. Oh, yes. Yeah, he famously, uh, I forgot what book it was, I think it was like Nicholas, Wilhelm, and Edward. Three royal cousins, yeah, from World War One, and like the, the Nicholas section, they talk about how the mere mention of like a republic or democracy would send him into like a screaming rage. Really? Okay. Yeah, he he did not want people bringing that up because he thought a parliament was a stupid idea. Yeah, yeah. Which by that point he was, I guess, not solely in the minority. Because obviously, like in in Germany, you had an emperor with quite a lot of power. But even there, I think um, the they they had like a, a elected body that had at least some kind of influence, even if uh, the Kaiser had had lots of decision making power. I feel like going back to this film specifically, though, um, it's it seems to be like a really a critique of of just autocracy and just letting essentially one person have all the power. I don't know what your take on that is. Maybe it'd be more fair critique if they maybe did like a fictionalized culmination of different czars. Because hmm. Ivan is clearly very mentally unstable. Sure. So it's kind of like a biased way of... It'd be, it'd be like a biased critique. Yeah. Like I saw it more as just like... Um, it's just like a type of biopic I prefer... Which is a, a set aside a a specific uh, point in time in their life and just focus on that. And this is to me it was like just purely like uh, Ivan's friendship, like 
his last true, not his last true, there are some other people, but like uh, one of his most important friendships coming to an end in like this portraying this period of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I also feel like, don't think I put it very well just just now, I feel like it's also saying that for a regime to be as as horrible as as this film is showing it to be, mm. it's not just about one guy because there there are these other characters. I mean, we've talked about the the more like deranged ones, but there's mm. some pretty calculating, nasty, nasty people. Um, like you have uh, this Basmanov guy, who I think is the the guy that with the with the scar that you that mm-hmm. you mentioned. It's it's one of those films where it's hard to say, oh yeah, it's the guy with the beard and the <laughs> long hair because that's basically everyone because the custom was you wore a beard. Yeah. Um, this is pre-beard tax. Yes, yes. Oh, uh, tell us about the beard tax. Uh, Peter I, in order to modernize Russia, one thing was uh, he noticed in Western Europe they don't have beards, really, so he instituted a beard tax so that uh, Russians would look more uh, Western and more uh, civilized. Yeah, yeah, quote-unquote. And, of course, lots of people didn't like this because it was you know, a part of their culture that you had a big beard if you were a guy. So he's essentially saying, yeah, I know this is our culture, but um, but screw that, we're going to be like the Europeans. So that's probably one of the reasons he's not necessarily remembered all that uh, all, all that fondly. Yeah. Um, you may, may or may not be aware that he doesn't tend to be called Peter the Great in um mm. In Russian, he's just referred to as Peter the First, so okay. it's probably one of these eye of the beholder and you know proximity things. Yeah, because seems outside of Russia, he's usually viewed as like like their their greatest ruler. Yeah, that and Catherine as well, Ca- uh, Catherine the Second. Again, she just tends to be called Catherine the Second, whereas we don't even know that that's what she was. We're just going to think, oh yeah, Catherine. So presumably Catherine the First, no, Catherine the Second. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, but, but anyway, him, Basmanov, the, he's this kind of scarred guy, and he's, he's much more manipulative. Like, you have this, uh, this one scene where he's trying to get Philip to attach his, his seal to all these, um, these, I guess, death warrants or sort of condemnations. Yeah, cause, um, that the battle of I'm not sure how you say it Polish outpost they had yeah Pulse yeah yeah um I should have written it down so I've just totally forgotten but yeah yeah you have you have a battle about halfway through which it's kind of hard to say from the way the film shows shows it who exactly uh, wins um, but yeah rumors reach the Tsar that that uh, the city has been given up uh, to the Poles. By the city's inhabitants, and he is not exactly thrilled with this news. Yeah, uh, this was like a huge trading uh, trading area. I think it was big big for trade, and uh, it was kind of a big deal for Ivan to get that. And they had a kind of a rivalry with the Poles. Oh yeah, like that was like like Napoleon with England. It was Ivan and the uh, Polish kingdom. Yeah, because back then, you know, Russia wasn't the the big power that it would it would go on to be. There was quite a few different powers in in the region that were equally, if not more, powerful. So they were in a, like a really vulnerable position. Yeah. Ivan himself was half Lithuanian. I did not know that. His mother Elena Glinskaya was a Lithuanian princess. Mm. I mean, that, I guess that shouldn't be a massive surprise in the sense that diplomatic marriages happen sort of all the time, but. Yeah, that does bring an interesting dimension to it. As uh, yeah, it's sort of a recurring theme in the f- in the film that Russia is beset with these with these enemies, both sort of I- inside and um, you know, in in some ways, at least from the outside, very you know, in reality, because you have this this big battle. But it, then yeah. that paranoia and feeling of being under threat uh, sort of extends to. Ivan, you know, trying to hunt down people who, from within, and it's much more ambiguous whether that's 
there are people actually plotting against him. Yeah, well, uh, it's seen multiple times that he has these, like, these intense visions from God, like, uh, instructing him. Or not, you know. Or not, yeah. It's, like, it, it would, on paper, if you, like, uh, I don't say any of this, like, the, it would seem silly, like, the idea of, like, him talking to himself in these visions, but when you see it in the movie, it's done very well. This shows that how, how great a performance it is to show us the mania and, like, the, real, and the like religious fervor of yeah. Uh, Ivan. Yeah, it's it is really really powerful. I mean, he again he, he has a lot of he has a lot of uh, of dialogue, but yeah, some of the best stuff of him is him mostly in in silence. Um, yeah, we've we've talked about the casting decision there of, of choosing a much older person, but just physically, he's it's it's a fantastic performance, and just the way his face looks as well. Um, it reminds me a lot of the. Ilya Repin uh, painting of uh, uh, of Ivan uh, when we, we talked about uh, how he I mean, murdered his son later, but it it looks very much like that painting, which I understand is is one that, that you're really fond of as well, Spencer. Yeah, um, I forgot when I, when I first saw it, but I remember in middle school for art class we had to like write like a one page paper about a painting. And everyone picked like a Da Vinci or a Monet, you know, something, someone, something more pleasant. And I picked Ivan the Terrible killing his son. Yeah, yeah. Although we should, we should, we should say for for those who haven't seen the the, the painting, it's the immediate aftermath uh, of that happening, and you've got basically Ivan is is cradling his mortally wounded son in his arms, and he's just kind of staring out at the at the viewer and he's kind of got this almost like skull like face um yeah you know and just these the just staring eyes like he's just realized the horror of what he's he's just done and it's 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 almost it, his his face is almost a, it, it reminds me a little bit of the of the scream you know obviously it's it's a very mm. different style it's much more like realistic yeah. but it has that expression of just sheer horror and, and revulsion um, it's um, hmm. yeah and Repin is a really famous in Russia artist I mean not very well known in the West but he's definitely uh, if you like the more realist art stuff he's worth worth looking up and that son he would have been the next in line and if he never called his son history would have turned out very differently yeah um, what happened after him was you you got uh, if i'm right in saying his uh, an infant son fjorder inherited the throne and he did not mm-hmm. last very long no and then it was his advisor boris what's his name oh uh godunov yeah it was him and he kind of took over and then there's a whole thing with his his other son dimitri who mysteriously disappeared and was killed but then there are three people at three different times who claim they were Dimitri, all who like came a little too close to becoming Tsar. Yeah. And that was this whole, whole like a whole bill of mess. Yeah, I mean I think they even might have been temporarily recognized as um as Tsar because you get you know, when they do their their sort of calculation of the kings, they're literally on the list as false Dimitri one and false Dimitri two. So it's kinda like yeah, he shouldn't have been king. He clearly wasn't <laughs> the guy, but people still thought that he was at the time, yeah. and then you know thought better of it. It's a yeah, it's a really odd period in in history. I mean, fasc- fascinating. I'd like to learn learn more about it, but I, I suspect we're kind of going off into the weeds at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, but this does show like a thing that uh, I mentioned that Ivan was a very complex person and. This, I like that this showed that after something terrible he would do, he would go through like an intense religious phase because he like after like a huge outburst of violence, he would immediately retreat to a monastery and pray in solitude for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way the film depicts that side of things, because 
quite often when he's talking to somebody else, he's saying, you know, very forthrightly, this is God's will. It has to be this way. And, you know, you get the impression he's totally certain. But then when you see him on his own or just or even sometimes like with crowds of people, he's kind of mm -hmm. on his knees and sort of quaking with fear and just, you know, and we've referred to it at the ending, just saying, like, God, forgive me or give me a sign or, yeah, it's, as you as you said, it's it's really affecting when you see it on screen, but probably when we're describing it, it just sounds a, a bit ridiculous, but it's hmm. it's really intense and, and, and as we've said multiple times already, uh, a really a really good performance. Um, interestingly, um, the chap who plays... Uh, Ivan is, um, he, he wasn't originally, um, an actor. He initially found fame as a, a as a musician, hmm. like in, um, like, I guess late eighties. It was in a, it's probably too simplistic to call it like a Russian or Soviet hmm. punk band, but that's kind of the sort of scene that they were part of. And I think he just met the director, uh, that way. And so he, um, he'd done like a few films with this director already, which I think, uh, um, I said uh, that Pyotr uh, Mamanov, who's the actor mm. um, who plays Ivan, directed this film. But actually, the director was Pavel Lungin. I should get that correction in there. But they'd worked together before. Mm. Um, you know, if, if if you said that he wasn't a, originally an actor, it's it's a little bit of a, a surprise anyway, because he's he's really good. I was like, I thought he was like a classically trained, like uh, Daniel Day Lewis type. Because like that performance is just so intense, and then it's like, oh, he's just like a punk guy who kind of fell into it. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I mean, I suppose it's not all that unusual for people to come from different performance backgrounds and turn out to be, you know, a fantastic, like, serious actor. I mean, a, a good example I can think of that is uh, is uh, Billy Connolly, mm -hmm. um, the, you know, primarily sort of thought of as a, a as a comedian, but he's done you know, quite a few serious roles. And if you didn't know that that was his background, you'd just assume that that had been his job forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen uh, Mrs. Brown, uh, where he plays, like, the servant of Queen Victoria. I just know him for Boondock Saints. Oh, I haven't seen Boondock Saints. Um, well, you're not 17, so don't bother. <laughs> okay, sort of duly, duly warned. Is it sort of slightly in... Uh, um, you know, catcher in the rye territory. That if you watch it at that age, it's good. If not, oh yes. Yeah. If if you're like a a teen boy, you will love Boondock Saints. If you are older than age of twenty, this the skip it. Okay, right. I, I will I will not add that to the already uh, <laughs> uh, too long list of things I need to need to catch up on. But uh, that being said, those movies are awful. But Billy Connolly is by far the best part of those movies. Mm. Going back to uh, to the, f the film, like, what did you think of it just in terms of the direction and just the way, the look of the thing? We haven't really touched on that all that much. Uh, I like the production because, like, uh, I'm not an like, expert on the, the clothing or, like, the clothing of that era, but the little I, that I do know from paintings is that, like, it's pretty accurate. And I like the just the whole like set design and costumes. Like you can tell, there was a lot of effort put into the tiniest details. Yeah, it's kind of a sumptuous production. You can tell like a lot of money was spent on it. And um, there's this one part. It's after and it opens with Ivan praying uh, by himself, and then it cuts to him going back to his palace and getting ready. And so it's this long tracking shot of servants dressing him and it's just this beautiful shot that clearly shows like the the relationship of he's he has all the power and he he literally doesn't have to do anything yeah but also the fact that he has all these like regalia that's part of that you know is the conveying how important he is and the cross and this icon sort of hung mm -hmm. over him and it's just yeah, as you say, it's a long shot, and there's lots of different bits of the costume put on, and it's and then you know he comes out and he's this this grand figure. It goes, it's like wearing this originally is wearing this tunic, and it ends up in this like a very formal like royal regalia. Yeah, and you totally get why monarchies and things like that 
had all of that fancy regalia because you just have somebody in their tunic. They're not all that impressive. They're just mm. another person like you. But when you see them <laughs> in all this, you know, impressive gear, you're kind of like, wow, that's, that's an impressive, an impressive guy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of babbling, but it is, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great shot and loads of great landscape stuff as well. Um, a lot of it is, you know, very stereotypically Russian and cold and snowy, but often you just got this really this contrast of the Aprichniki in their in their black mm. against like the sort of snow covered landscape, and it's it's really striking. I would have loved to have seen this at the cinema. Yeah, yeah, can't see it coming <laughs> to a cinema <laughs> near me anytime soon for some reason. But uh... there is one thing I did not like. Uh, it's in the beginning where you see them killing chickens on screen. Yeah, that is that's definitely a memorable part. Yeah, I don't. I don't like seeing animals killed on screen in movies. It's this little like you can fake it. Sure, I, I don't need to see it. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure whether that was was for real or not. But oh, it, that was definitely real. Okay, because you see one chick, a couple of chickens, just like with their heads cut off, just like flapping around because like uh, they don't immediately die. They they kind of uh, they're trying to serve. They sort of bounce, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. It, if that was, yeah, really, um, as you say, as, as you suspect, like, uh, live chickens that they use, that's really horrible. But it, and I'm not trying to justify that, but in terms of mm-hmm. showing that image, it does, I think it does tie in with, with the sort of the, the theme of the film, just senseless violence going out through it, because it's not even like they're just chopping them up to have to have them for dinner it's just like literally these these guys with swords throwing these chickens up in the air and then whacking them just <laughs> just for yeah. like for fun essentially and it's it's like yeah there's a lot of that sort of thing going on in in this in this film which i guess that could be like a uh, foreshadowing for later oh oh definitely um we should say <laughs> this this film is it probably probably gathered from what we've said already but there's a lot of really, really tough stuff. I don't know what there would have been, but over here it would be definitely a 15, I guess, an R over in the States. Uh, well, uh, apparently it's PG-13 over here, which... Really? Yeah, which feels like a mistake. It, it does. I, I wonder whether they made made a few cuts for the... Amer- the like. I don't know whether it was ever released cinem- cinematically, but... Well, over here, probably like New York and L.A., yeah. And like that probably be it. Yeah, similar here. It would have been yeah, big cities, but but yeah, wouldn't have made it out to <laughs> where I live now. Um but yeah, it's really, really tough stuff and yeah, like you say with the chickens that's upsetting. Um I mean yeah, I've seen worse. There's a Japanese movie I cover on my podcast, uh, with Joel where you see a a cow get slaughtered on screen mm. which is a lot uh more uncomfortable. But it's yeah, sure. But the chickens are still just—they have the mind. They—if you see it, you see a production value in it. Like they could have, they could have faked that. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of you know, obviously faked cruelty through, throughout the film. I think this is definitely falls into the maybe not quite as graphic as as Game of Thrones, but um, if you kind of use that as a as a yardstick, it's kind of it's on that scale of nastiness happening i think for me like the most disturbing part is is the part with the bear oh yeah i <laughs> blotted that one out <laughs> yeah i try to forget that <laughs> yeah this is basically it's it's almost like the turning point of the film i would say so it's tricky not to give too much away but it reminded me of the uh it felt like a cos like a Coliseum Roman type thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which fits because um uh the Russians originally saw themselves as the next Roman Empire after the Byzantines fell. Yeah, yeah. Often they called Moscow the the third Rome and there was even like a a prophecy which I think it was I could be getting these mixed up, but I think it was called the Legend of the White Cow for some reason. So the other the other two were sort of no longer worthy. So God, for some reason, was deciding to move it to to Moscow, which is you know probably probably a great thing to hear if you're the Tsar. But uh, 
Well, uh, do you know why the Russians chose the Orthodox Church? I've heard the legend, but it'd uh, be interesting to hear what exact version you've heard of it. My understanding was that uh, when... I forgot who it was, but um, when they were deciding what their official religion should be, they met with um, like uh, Judaism and Roman Catholicism and and like Muslims and they picked Orthodox because the head of the country is the, also head of the church. Oh, okay. That is a much more prosaic uh, explanation. Um, yeah, as definitely they have uh, the Eastern Roman Empire had a kind of, I guess it's technically referred to as Cesaro papism where, yeah, there's mm-hmm. this sort of kind of the emperor has a religious role as well in the in a way it's a bit more separated in, in, in Catholic countries. Uh, the, the more colourful version that I've heard is that um, the Russian emissaries just weren't all that impressed by the church services um, from hmm. uh, the from Latin or you know Roman Christianity, so they're just like yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Judaism was rejected because the Jews no longer possessed their holy city, so it's like well, okay, so um, if they don't even have their own most important place, then there's not that much power in it. And then supposedly Islam was was rejected uh, because they didn't let you drink alcohol. So um, um, that is true. <laughs> um, <laughs> and supposedly uh, Vladimir, who was the prince who converted mm-hmm. the uh, the Russians officially, um, or said this is what we're going to be from now on, uh, is supposed to have said that drink is the joy of the Russians, which. Um, <laughs> Again, it's it's uh, you know you're kind of playing into your own uh, stereotypes there. Um, I guess vodka has always been a big thing there. Um, I don't know that specifically vodka. I think I think that hmm. that was actually a bit more of a, a thing that they they picked up on on later. I think hmm. that uh, mead was was the big like high middle middle ages thing that they drank and i think oh. vodka was a was a, a bit of a later development but um yeah incidentally um the word vodka is 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 very close to the russian word uh, for water um which is vada is just normal <laughs> water and and ka like typically um is like a little diminutive um so you mm. could almost say that vodka means something like little water or nice little water or something like that. Um, hmm. But yeah, actually, this is something that won't come up too much um, in... It's just a nightmare for people doing the subtitles. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, quite often when Ivan in the film is referring to people, he's not mm-hmm. referring to them by their exact given name. He's uh, he's referring to them as, for example, Philip. Um, instead of Philippe, mm-hmm. he's Philippka. Which it's like it's a bit of an odd diminutive because it's not always. It sometimes can be affectionate, but it can also be like derisory. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those things. It's it's an extra little nuance that you get. But if you're subtitling it, you may as well not bother, just because people are not necessarily going to understand why that's there. So oh, okay, yeah, Russian diminutives is. That just makes the names more complex. Oh, yes. Yeah. I tried reading the Brothers Karmazov, and that was just dense. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, who is that that they're talking about again? I mean, <laughs> once once you get the hang of it and living mm-hmm. in Russia for a while, you kind of, you have to. But mm-hmm. uh, if you're just coming at it cold, it does make things a little bit more, uh, more complicated. Um, was that a pun? Sorry? Was that a pun? The cold? Oh, <laughs> not intentionally, but... Uh, um, all right, then. So uh, I think we should probably um, wrap this one up. But before we do, I would just uh, ask you a few things. Like, is this a film that you would recommend to other people? I would recommend it if you're interested in history, or uh, especially Russian history. But if you want to see like, a good biopic... Um, someone who I think is misunderstood pop culturally. This is a good a good movie to see. It's good production. I like the pacing. It's edited well. You don't feel the two hours. Um, yeah, it's 
it's a good solid movie. It's a little repetitive with like the the Philip and Ivan scenes where they're going back and forth about uh, the whole going too far, and it gets kind of annoying as it goes on. But uh, it's it's definitely worth worth seeing. Okay, cool. I mean, I'd say yes, would recommend, but. You know, if it's a Friday night and you just want to watch something to chill out with, maybe pick something else. As this is, there's some there's some pretty uh, brutal stuff going on. So it's it's not necessarily going to make you feel better. <laughs> um, yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Spencer. You've been a, a wonderful and a extremely knowledgeable guest. So it's been really great to bring that uh, expertise to bear on the on the discussion of the film oh thank you i've never been called an expert it's yeah no, it's, it's really it's really great um mm-hmm. yeah but before we go is there anything you'd like to make people aware of let's see i have a podcast called high and low a cursor podcast that you have been on talking about the cursor film the lower depths based off the gorky play and um in my in the podcast, uh, me and my co-host Joel will pair a Kershaw movie with another Jeffy's movie from that same year, and uh, compare and contrast the themes and all that stuff. We, we aren't film experts; we're fans, so it, it's a definitely more casual. It's not like a deep film theory thing. We're just hanging out, looking for an excuse to watch Japanese movies, which was the whole point of the podcast to begin with. And um, I've been on the podcast uh, School of Schlock talking about this interesting Kung Fu movie called Return of Kung Fu Dragon. It's School of Schlock episode 26. And I was on the podcast The Grindbin talking about this very challenging satire about the history of black people in America called Coonskin from uh, Grindbin episode 74. And... That just sounds challenging just from the title. I kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to make of that. It's, I like the movie. It's just a very odd experience to sit through. But it's, it's, it's well-intentioned. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's playing up on racist stereotypes. That's the whole point of the movie. So if that makes you uncomfortable, it's doing, doing its job. And I write for Summer Knife Fight. I review old TV shows and TV movies. And I just did one called Baffled. It was a BBC TV movie, Secret Pilot, where Leonard Nimoy plays a Formula One driver who has uh, the power of foresight. And so he uses that to help solve crimes. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it's on YouTube in a couple places. It's on DVD. It's this very odd BBC thing they did in the 70s, that's a whole lot of fun. It does definitely sound, yeah, like a very 70s, yeah, kind of idea. <laughs> Plus, you know, always good to, to see um, Leonard Nimoy in something uh, besides uh, besides Spock as well, because that's pretty much all I've seen him in, so that would be interesting. Yeah, I highly recommend uh, the TV movie Baffled and also read my review on uh, Summer Knife Fight. Oh, cool. And um, uh, do you have a Twitter handle at all? Um, my, my Twitter is my podcast Twitter, at High and Low Pod. Cool. So we can, yeah, get in touch with you with you that way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, you will be on High and Low again for The Idiot. That's that's the plan. Yeah, so, uh, you know, so if you thought uh, that Tsar was a barrel of laughs, mm-hmm. just uh, just wait till you, uh, yeah, see that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult movie. <laughs> To put it lightly, I haven't seen it yet, but I've uh, but I've read the the Dostoevsky novel that it's adapted from, and um, yeah, uh, there's not as there's not as much violence as there is in Tsar, but it's 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 not uh, it's not a fun happy time. But then you should kind of know that if you know anything about Dostoevsky. Yeah. So well, the original Kurosawa's first cut was five and a half hours. Wow. He cut it down to two hours forty five minutes. So it's. It's a just a bizarre, challenging adaptation. It's very well made. It's just, it's like his. It's his stalker. Mm, okay. Wow. Um, which, yeah, having reviewed Stalker <laughs> earlier on, yeah, um, in this podcast, uh, you should check out that episode uh, for some more in- insight into what that might might mean if you haven't seen mm-hmm. uh, Tarkovsky's Stalker before. So, yeah. So, sounds like we're in for a, a, a treat with that one. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again, Spencer. You're welcome. And Dasvidaniya, folks. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. <laughs>